chance to feel like heroes too Forever we'll win And if we should lose We know someday we'll go all the way Yeah, someday we'll go all the way Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland, and on this episode we have Jeff Passan, who is head baseball writer for ESPN.com, and, you know, it's a pretty big get, and I'd like to thank everyone on the internet who uh, spoke up for me. I don't know who all of you are, but apparently after I asked Jeff, uh, he's kind of teasing me a little bit, and a bunch of people backed me up, and and then he, we did this podcast, so it was uh, really interesting. We talked about just everything with this virus, and I was just turned baseball basically upside down, and all the stuff that's going to be changing because of it, and then uh, we got a little, we talked about some, the history of Tommy John surgery, and then to cheer everybody up a little bit, we went into a pretty heated debate about the movies Rookie of the Year and Little Big League, and surprisingly, you know, being a Cubs fan, I came down on the side of Little Big League in this debate, and it was a pretty heated one, but it was a lot of fun, and here is Jeff. Jeff, welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. Happy to have you on. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so obviously right now the Cubs should be finishing up their uh, first home series against the Pirates. And obviously that's not happening because of this pandemic that's shut down all of sports. But I thought I'd just kick it off by asking, there's this story that came out today about a 100-game season that uh, starts on July 1st and, you know, having the World Series in Dodger Stadium, no matter who's in the World Series. So I just thought I'd ask you, is this is just throwing this out here or is this something they feel good about or with this, everything so uncertain, it's just a placeholder for right now? Uh, can I be totally honest with you? I did not see that story. Who wrote that? Um, <laughs> it was... You know, now I'm going to look it up real quickly. Yeah, it was a report from somewhere. It was all over the Internet, so that's where I saw it. But So it looks like, it looks like Matt, Matt Spiegel, my okay. buddy at, uh, at 670 The Score in Chicago. Um, look, something like that is absolutely a possibility. But it just... It, it's just one of a number of possibilities out there. And that's the thing. There are plenty of discussions going on about what is reasonable, what is likely, what is possible. You know, I look at something like that, and if you're starting July 1st, uh, 100 games is is not going to be as many as they play. Like, if they start July 1st, uh, they're going to get at least 110 games in, for example. And I, I've heard from uh, a number of people that the thought of putting the World Series at Dodger Stadium, as attractive as it is because of the weather, because the All-Star game might be taken away from there, um, because of all those things, there's concern that the Dodgers are so good that uh, they're going to be potentially playing up to seven games at home during the World Series. And there's a, a potentially unfair element to that. But then again, there might not be any fans in the stands at the World Series. So these are all questions uh, that I think are as much up to our ability 
uh, as a country and as individual citizens to handle this pandemic as best we can to do social distancing, uh, to abide by uh, what the experts out there are saying, and uh, to do our part in helping baseball come back more quickly because uh, ultimately a, a fair amount of this is going to be up to people and the individual decisions that we all make. Yeah, and that, you know, when you're talking about, too, the empty stadiums, which, I mean, we're no, none of us are experts on this, but it seems likely that when baseball comes back, there probably will be empty stadiums, but it's not a done deal or anything. But obviously that's revenue that's going to be lost for all these teams. And, you know, I was, the Cubs, of course, have had this before all this stuff went went down, there's a lot of talk about the Cubs budget and luxury tax thresholds and all this stuff. And now we're talking about a reduced season with possibly no fans. I'm going to, I'll make it specifically about the Cubs, but just in general, is this going to be a big financial issue for all these clubs? It has a chance to be, especially for the teams that don't have giant television contracts that buttress them financially. You know, if you look at teams, um, there, there is a, a definitive split uh, among those who have good television contracts and those who don't and what percentage of the revenues they derive from gate. And, and it's to the point where if you are playing for half of a season or even potentially a full season with no fans in the stands, man, all of a sudden uh, you're going to have some teams that will be in deep financial trouble unless – they are able to go out and somehow pool local television money. And I think that's going to be one of the things that, uh, that, that Major League Baseball has to do before coming back. It has to figure out what is financially feasible and what some owners uh, of the large market, large TV deal contracts are willing to do uh, to, to make feasible the idea of playing for some of these smaller market teams that have lesser television contracts and could theoretically, because they're paying players and not taking in gate revenue or anything along those lines, uh, run in the red, if not properly compensated. It's a very, it's a very weird dynamic that a team could benefit financially from not playing. And, and if you look at, local sponsorships and ad revenue from the TV uh, and, and other things. Maybe some of these teams uh, could wind up in the black theoretically, but to make it worthwhile for everybody, there's going to need to be some sort of a pooling of TV dollars. So obviously another thing that you reported on was about this deal for the draft coming up to reduce the size of the draft. And um, where I am right now in, Billings, Montana, our team, the Mustangs, are one of the teams that were reported to be on the chopping block as far as minor league teams go. But obviously, with these new draft rules, it seems like pretty bad news for these minor league teams that are hoping to survive. Yeah, it does. It's, it's bad news for short season teams. And look, there's always been a benefit, uh, player development-wise, for having short season teams. But I think the argument that teams are going to make ultimately and that the league is going to make is that whatever we get done in the short season leagues, we can get done at complexes as well. And look, teams want control over players. 
especially really young players who, uh, you know, who have the ability when they're out on their own and not under the watchful eye of uh, all the player development people who, uh, who spend enough time at those complexes to keep an eye on them. Uh, you know, they could, they could get in trouble. They could, uh, you know, their, their eating habits may not be good. Like there are all sorts of control reasons and kind of draconian, honestly, um, and, and I understand why players are reticent to doing that and you lose, uh, the ability for someone to go out and actually like learn what it's like to be an adult and, uh, to manage your own food and laundry and rent and all the things like that. But there are some benefits to, to having younger players, especially, uh, and, uh, under your control at a complex and, and beyond that. Uh, there are lots of advantages to saving money on scouting. You know, everybody's going to be in the Phoenix area or everyone's going to be within a drive in Florida. Uh, there's a, a distinct money-saving advantage to that, and that is something that clubs are always looking for and something that I think uh, in the mind of Major League Baseball they would like to take advantage of. You know, you have a triple-A team, you have a double-A team, you have a high-A team, and you have a low-A team, and then everyone else goes to the complex or, or the summer league teams. So it's really almost like something we've written about before with this, with the high school players being, you know, funneled to these camps and stuff, these, you know, perfect pitch stuff, like perfect games, stuff like this, that they funnel the people into these big camps. So it's almost like an extension of that into the early minor leagues. Yeah, it's a little more player development centric, though. Perfect game is more like a showcase for for players to say hey this is what my skill set looks like uh or, or excuse me rather this is this is what my toolbox looks like um player development is more i'm going to take those tools and turn them into skills and the the incentive is very strong for teams to do that uh in in as as regimented a way as possible. You know, the more, the more coaches you have, uh, and the more people you have over multiple levels, the more that can get lost in translation. Again, it, it always comes back to control. And that is an ugly word to use when you're talking about one human being and another, uh, and, and a, an organization with a group of kids, a majority of whom come from third world countries, like there, there is a, you know, for, for as long as the Dominican Republic has been this pipeline going into major league baseball, it, it has been in a lot of ways, sadly and unfortunately, uh, a plantation type mentality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you see, you see this throughout baseball, the notion of control. You guys see it in Chicago with Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. one day short of an extra year of service. Mm-hmm. Why? Cubs wanted to keep control of them. And so this control thing isn't just a major league issue. It goes all the way down to the lowest part of the minors. And, uh, you know, with the money that clubs are investing in players, if they feel like the best way that they can develop them is to do so with the players at their complexes, that is what they're going to do. And that's what they're going to encourage and incentivize Rob Manfred to to put into effect. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, go back to the early days of baseball with, the reserve clause. It's always been owners trying to keep control over their players. And it's just... Yep, that is the... I mean, that's the truth. And, and in this, you know, 
we see what's happened with the draft because of this agreement with the with the players association and MLB. Uh, the players got their service time. Uh, you know, there was some belief that they might have gotten it anyway if they had tried to grieve it, but that was not a risk that the union was willing to take because the potential loss right there was just too strong, just as the the owners, even though they had paragraph 11 in the uniform player contract that said Rob Manfred has the right in a national emergency to suspend these contracts. Uh, you know, even on that small percentage of chance that the owners were going to lose, uh, if they don't play this year, they're losing $5 billion already in revenues uh, to go and have to pay out another four plus billion uh that would have i don't know if it would have bankrupted teams but it would have stretched them to the absolute financial limit to the point where uh almost every owner out there would have uh been selling shares of the team just to try and get cash and that is not a position in uh in what is going to be a recession and hopefully that's all it's going to be that any owner of a business wants to be in yeah it's really just it just tells you everything you need to know about the situation we're all in right now. That we're talking about Major League Baseball clubs of just a cash cow with the you know the you know internet money and all that stuff. That we're talking about Major League Baseball clubs trying to avoid going bankrupt. That's kind of wild. Yeah, and and here's the thing: it's it is when when we look at the value of Major League Baseball teams, Sean, it it, it has become. Um, there's almost become like an intrinsic value just on owning the club and on what the expected future income was going to be because all of these uh, big television contracts and television networks have become worth so much. What that did not account for is a black swan, and the coronavirus is a black swan. And so I I look at the valuations of these sports franchises, and when Forbes comes out, uh, next year, I don't know. I, I think it was actually due to come out probably this year, right around now, with MLB valuations. But I'll be very curious to see the sporting valuations uh, and just how much the values of these teams have gone down. Because I have a feeling it is going to be by a significant number next year, just because of how the entire sporting industry has been affected by this. Yeah. So I'll get you out on one more. Since, you know, there, isn't, there hasn't been baseball. So I've been, you know, looking for baseball content. And I watched this really interesting documentary called Fastball. And it was about the history <laughs> of the fastball in, in Major League Baseball. And it, you know, talk about Walter Johnson and Nolan Ryan and, and um, Bob Feller. Steve Dalkowski. Yep, Steve Dalkowski. But this is such a fascinating show. But I remembered that, I was remembered reading your book about the arm. And I just thought... I just want to talk a bit about, like, Nolan Ryan. This is one of these guys that he pitched until he was 46. Now, obviously, he did have arm issues, but he was able to pitch through them. But he was at the center of this thing for a long time about, you know, usage. And if you, you know, limit the use of the arm, maybe players won't get hurt. You see in the minors now, they pitch the young prospects for an inning and pull them. But then you got someone like a Nolan Ryan that can power through, and people said, well, just go like Nolan Ryan. Just throw as much as you can. But I just thought I'd ask you, just focus maybe on just Nolan Ryan, but in general, are these guys just freaks, the ones that don't get hurt? Or is there something to throwing over and over again like this? 
Let's look at both of those scenarios you just posed. I don't think anybody can reasonably look at the idea that you're going to develop starting pitchers by pitching them less. That by pulling a guy after one inning, you're doing something to to theoretically protect him long term, unless he's like nine years old. I, I did that with my kid when he was like eight and nine and throwing, you know, we would limit him to one inning at a time just to make sure, because there are a lot of walks going on. The pitch counts can get high. You don't want really long, stressful innings. So there's that. Uh, on the other end of the continuum is Nolan Ryan and you use the word freak. And I think that is appropriate because I think we have to remember that every arm is a snowflake. Every arm is unique. Every arm is different. Every arm has physical properties that either allow it to persist or cause it to break. And, you know, there, there are, uh, there, it's sort of like a, a tripod in the book that I was talking about when it comes to arm health. There's uh, movement or mechanics, um, the, the sort of stress and strain the pitching motion causes uh, on the various parts of your arm. There's usage, which is how much do you throw at what ages? Uh, when did you particularly stress it? And then there's genetics, which is sort of the unknown part of it. Uh, we, you know, we don't know physiologically what allows a pitcher or a player to throw hard and throw for a long time and, and not suffer damage. Nolan Ryan actually did suffer damage. His elbow was a mess. Like he was, you know, it was recommended that, that he get Tommy John surgery back in the 80s. He didn't do it, though. He kept pitching. He stayed healthy. And he was able to pitch through whatever pain there was or whatever uh, lack of stability there was and, and to do so and do so incredibly well. Yeah, now, yeah, didn't I they? have no freaking idea. Yeah, that's what I say. have no clue. At I don't think end, Nolan Ryan knows either. No. But the idea that, that uh, we can say do what Nolan mm-hmm. Ryan did and that doing what Nolan Ryan did will suddenly somehow translate to this to to any sort of similar success or outcome is ignoring uh, those other elements that are so important to arm health. Yeah, and he literally pitched until his arm just completely gave out. It was like that if you were writing a movie, he was just on the mound and just he had it in the documentary. He just went, "Okay, I'm done." Threw a couple pitches against yeah, the Mariners, and yeah. I mean, this is a Chicago podcast. He was Chet Stedman, you know? That's right. Like, he, he, he threw, and a, a guitar riff played in the background, and then he said, I'm I'm done, Skip. Just give it to the kid. And then Henry Rowan Gardner came in and finished it out. Yeah, see, that's a big thing you left out of your book about the guitar riff that always plays when someone needs <laughs> Tommy John. I, you know what? I We were just watching Rookie of the Year at my house a couple days ago, and... I, I said to my my twelve year old, I said to him, my favorite part of this movie is when Chet Stedman's arm starts hurting, and suddenly a guitar plays every time to to really illustrate the pain that he's going through. And if you go back and look at those guitar riffs, they are fantastic. Like every time I hear that, it's just like I can imagine that poor guy's rotator cuff just falling apart. Yes, and of course I get I get some flack for it, of course, because. I think Little Big League is better than Rookie of the Year. And being a Cubs fan, that's, you're supposed to like Rookie of the Year more. But 
I don't know. Having having once having once uh, gone after you on Twitter, I'm not going to do that again. But I'm just going to say that is a terrible take. That's a t- little big league. Come on. And what can I say? And I get that. That's gotta, a- I, 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 this this I I am gonna. This is your show, so I shouldn't say what I'm going to allow you to do and what I'm not going to. But I'd like for you, in 60 seconds, to convince me Little Big League was better than Rookie of the Year. And I'm going to time it on my phone, starting in three, two, one, go. Okay, so Little Big League seems more plausible because you're talking about a kid managing a team. He's not playing in the games. They have all the great, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., they have... Lou Pinella, a trick play. I mean, the game feels so real. They lose the game. How many shows have the team actually lose the game? It just feels more real to me. Rookie of the year, I mean, it's good, though, but he's playing in the games, and I don't care how hard he throws. They're going to light that guy up. I mean, he doesn't have a breaking ball. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, so that was that was a 34. 30- 36 or so second argument. Yes. And and I think I think my favorite part of it was the beginning where you said it just seems more real yes. with a child managing a major league yes. team. A like that does manager. not seem real at all. We we are dealing with surreality in both of these situations. <laughs> so I don't I, I don't know that the the argument about reality is necessarily the best one you could have taken. However, I, I am always bothered. I am always bothered by the fact there are a couple of things about rookie of the year that bothered me. Number one, the idea that a baseball team could sign a twelve-year-old child. No, minimum age is sixteen. Henry Roan Gardner would have been ineligible to sign for four years. Would have been like Tom Verducci would have written a story about him. He would have been on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but he would not have been allowed to sign. Number two, the idea that an agent. Uh, Jack uh, Jack Bradford is I think that's his name. Jack mm-hmm. Bradford taking ten percent. Agents don't take ten percent. The best agents take five percent. Other agents who are worried that they can't compete with the best agents take like four percent. No agent gets ten percent. Number three, selling him to the Yankees for twenty five million dollars. Are you kidding? Only twenty five million dollars for a twelve year old who can throw a hundred and can fill up ballparks. It would have gone for way more. And also, by the way, you can't sell players to other teams. Uh, uh, number four, uh, the, the part that bothers me maybe more than anything about Rookie of the Year is when they're pulling up in their boat that is just belching pollution onto the beach. And there are like four girls sitting on a blanket and then the short hair girl kind of like off to the side. So there are like five girls right there. Are you telling me that those three girls who end up on the boat are going to ditch their friends like that to go on a smoky boat and get splashed by Henry Roan? No, that's just a rude thing to do. It's a bad friend. I don't like that part at all. That whole scene annoys me. That boat is just a disaster. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to Little Big League yet, but the boat scene almost pushes me there. Yes, and you know, as we've learned from your book, The Arm, injuring your arm usually does not make it stronger. So, <laughs> you know, after surgery, you don't get stronger. That's, That's a, a myth that point. your book kind of dispelled. I was, 
I was I was not expecting to go on a rookie of the year rant here. Yes. I don't know what you've done to me. Well, there's no baseball going on that's actually, you know, counting, so we gotta do something. Reasonable point. Maybe this is maybe this is like a new segment that I just YouTube videos like what what's wrong with this sports movie? Yes. I, I'm I, feel, to... I feel like we feel like we may be onto something. Yes, that's a great idea actually. If I see it on ESPN you'll have to at least give me a tip of the hat on Twitter or something. That I can do. Well, I think that's all. And again, thank you for coming on my podcast. And I did not mind getting dunked on a little bit on the Twitter, so it was fine with you me. You did kind of mind a little bit. You, you looked. You sounded like you took offense. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people stood up for you. They did. Like they were, I was surprised. The, the other people did. Yeah, did more. St- had to make you. It, yeah, they stood up more for me. Yeah, they stood up more for me. Like, I really wasn't that bothered by it. I was just like, wow, he actually yeah. answered me. And yeah, everyone else was standing up for me. I'm like, okay, thank you, everyone. I know. Typically, typically when I do that to people, it's like everyone just laughs and realizes it's just a joke. And yeah. no, like, you, you, got, uh, you got some people in your corner. It's got to feel good. I'm impressed. Yeah, well, again, thank you for coming on. And this was fun. That it was, and uh, my my faked out uh, was clearly misplaced. So yes. thank you for having me. Yep, of course. You can find Jeff at Jeff Passan on Twitter, and of course on ESPN. I am at sth eighty five. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Stitcher. And if there's anywhere else you listen to podcasts, you want to get it, just let me know. Uh, you can email the podcast at holycowpod at gmail.com. Holycowpod at gmail.com. Now, obviously, there's no baseball right now. I'll keep trying to get these fun interviews and stuff in to try to distract everyone from this stuff. And as always, I hope everyone's staying safe out there. And hopefully we'll have baseball sooner rather than later. And thank you, as always, for listening. <laughs>